0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 119. So glad you could join me tonight. Uh, Tonight's guest is going to be Brittany Corrigan. She'll be here in about 15 minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click that like button. And share and make sure you're subscribed and all that stuff. Don't delay because you'll forget. Do it right now and that helps out a lot. Um, now before we begin, we always like to start with uh, poet respond Live. And we're going to start with today's poem, The Body Collector of Spain. And I'm going to call up the poet Tamara Cruz, right now. Let's, let's see if we can get her on the line. Hello. Hey, Tamara, you are live on the air with Rattlecast. Uh, so glad you could join us.
1: Hi, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's just my pleasure to have you. And I, we just love this poem, and, and people are loving it all over the Internet today. Uh, do you want to start out just Thank by spli- describing um, the story? It's a, based, based on a New York Times podcast, so I didn't get a chance to listen to it. It wasn't an article you could read quickly. Um, but, right. but do you want to explain just what inspired the poem and, and how it came to be?
1: Yeah, so um, I like I really love the podcast, the Daily by the New York Times. I listen to it pretty much every day when I'm um, walking my dog and my toddler um, for a mid morning walk. And um, last, uh, I guess it was now a week before week before last, I guess now, um, I, they had a story that just I sometimes they have these stories that are so. Um, so gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching in a way that I just have to stop and, and give my mind some time to process um, what the story was about. And they had this story about this man, Martín Zamora, who is from southern Spain. Um, and since the late 90s, he's been um, collecting the, the bodies of the migrants who wash up in the, um, in the beaches near his hometown. And then um, works with um, imams and mostly in Morocco um, to try to repatriate the bodies, get them back to um, get them back to their families. And he does this because many of these bodies have been floating in the ocean for so long. They're unrecognizable. They don't have ID on them. And so he does this by taking the clothes from the clothes and the jewelry um any personal belongings that he finds on the bodies he takes them back to um to these towns and sets them out in displays in the markets um in different towns in morocco where people are reporting their loved ones um having left as migrants to europe and then gone having gone missing and um and he uses these he uses their their clothes and and jewelry um as clues he said and he was quoted in um the journalist quote, who quoted him said that he, he sees the bodies are the mysteries and their clothes are the clues to solving who they were. Um, and I just found his story. Um, it made me cry listening to it, thinking about this man who, a mortician, um, a career that is somewhat, holds somewhat of a, a bit of a stigma, I feel, in society, the idea of dealing with the dead. And he's doing, um, through his work, he's doing the most humanizing thing and restoring their identities to them.
0: Yeah. And so these are people who I, I'm surprised to know it's been going on that long that he's been doing it since the nineties. Um, I didn't realize since, that. Yeah,
1: so. The first, the first body he repatriated was in 1999. Um, was what I, then I uh, was what um, I read from a different article that had been, been published about him. Yeah. The first one was 1999 and he's helped find hundreds of, He's helped repatriate hundreds of bodies since then.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so these are people who are crossing the Strait of Gibraltar, I guess, from Morocco?
1: Yeah, yeah. Apparently that's a very common spot to cross because the, the, the podcast and also the article that I read about him later had said that um, it's very narrow. Um, and so it gives almost as though like there's the illusion that it would be easy, but it's because of the currents, a lot of boats tend to go down there.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like you captured it so well in this poem. Do you want to go ahead and read it?
1: Yeah. The Body Collector of Spain. When migrants die at sea, he gets them home. Nicolás Casey and Lere Aris Sarasqueta. I washed shore without my name. It had drifted away while I floated for weeks off the coast of Teresa. I was zipped in a bag, hefted into a hearse, and driven past pines and sunflower seeds our fields, to be shoved in a freezer, where I shivered for months beside others like me, remember, remember, imploring ourselves to recall who we were, who we are now, bodies in waiting with eyes eaten by fish, fingers wrapped up in kelp, seafoam laced in our hair, frost sprouts from our noses, feathers our lashes, our lips, we wait for him, we wait here for him, Martin Samora the body collector, for those who don't make it to Spain alive, the mortician who knows when we we wash up on beaches, we each have a history and name suspended beyond reach. He will come to find us, embalm us, to sprinkle our bodies with herbs and shroud us in green sheets as a local imam taught him to do. I get the feeling, Martin whispers to our empty ears, The future will see us as monsters for letting you die this way. He will search out our past through clues in the clothing draped on the bones of our our shoulders and backs. Martin sends our clothes across the sea, back to our homes where he lays them out in market squares, like museum exhibits of the dead. One purple canvas shoe, an orange jersey with a Nike swoosh, men's stonewashed blue jeans, size 36, a gold-plated heart necklace, engraved with a lover's name, believing someone will pass by and remember a familiar shirt or gift. And there now, a mother weeps her daughter's name into an empty dress. A wife caresses the jacket that once held the man she loved. A father rocks a pair of trainers, remembering when the feet that wore them were barely larger than his thumb. My sister grasped gray overalls stained with oil from the auto shop where I worked, and my name returns to me alights on my body gives back memory of life i am not an unknown to be thrown in a grave with the nameless i am 27 years old a mechanic from tangier i am akraf amir i remember remember remember
0: yeah thanks so much for sharing that poem that was the body collector of spain and um, it just yeah. there's something just so moving about that story about how, you know, the care that this one person has where, where you know, the world seems to just move on indifferently. You know, that, that it's that contrast that stands out mm-hmm. so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was what struck me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for capturing it in a poem so well. And I hope everybody goes and, and listens to that podcast at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, tomorrow. It was great talking to you.
1: Thank you. You too. Yeah. Have a good Thank day. Thank you. Bye. Me too.
0: That was a uh, Tamara Croods with uh, the Body Collector of Spain, and now we have a second poem, a bonus poem this week. Um, I'm going to run this on Tuesday, I think. Although it's sort of a Thanksgiving-ish type poem, so maybe we'll jump it to Thursday. I haven't really decided yet. But this is Abby E. Murray, who's been in Poet Respond um, several times before, and uh, this is a poem she wrote this week called "How to Be Together." And um, I'll, I'll read the note first. Um, Abby can't join us right now because she um, has COVID at the moment. And, um, you know, isn't up to speaking on the phone, unfortunately. So um, I'll read her note right here. This is Abby E. Murray. Uh, This is a poem of Thanksgiving, maybe not so much in honor of the holiday as in celebration of people who know how to be together through a crisis. In my case, I'm thinking of my seven-year-old daughter. Although I'm vaccinated, I contracted COVID, and it's been brutal. I wrote this on a good day. And uh, she submitted this on... On Friday, and she's still not feeling well today, this is going to be the Poetry Spawn poem, I think Tuesday. Uh, This is How to Be Together by Abby E. Murray. Ask a second grader. Mine stood at the top of the stairs, masked, looking down at me in the basement, masked, unable to hold her, my skin white-green and slick with virus. I am teaching her how to separate, how not to hug me until the doctor says... When she told me she missed my arms, so much her knees wobbled, her eyes were two wet pebbles dropped in a gutter. For what do pebbles give thanks? How does a gutter say grace? I couldn't even ask these questions aloud, so how she discovered the answer is a mystery to me. She ran out, ran outside around the house, to the basement window. All I had to do was open it, and that, wa- and that was, in fact, all I could do. She found two stones in the yard one smaller than the other, both of them rough and cold, then hopped them toward each other on the bricks of the window ledge. Uno, dos, aquí. Here we are, she said. This is you and this is me together. Simple and exact. People, you know you are not a child anymore when love shocks you. I laid there amazed by how much light two chunks of rock could give, dazed by the feast of blankets glowing around me. Each shallow breath was a divine bite. My daughter was curled up with me outside the late November sun, which becomes a new shade of gold, even on gray surfaces, even when you think those colors couldn't be further apart. So that was going to be the poem for uh, Tuesday. That is Abby E. Murray. And uh, hopefully she gets well soon and can read the poem for the website herself. Um, But she's a wonderful poem and a wonderful poet. We're going to have to have her on the uh, podcast soon as a featured guest, I think. But that was Abby E. Murray with How to Be Together. And now we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to go to today's featured guest, um, Brittany Corrigan. So I'm going to put some music, and I will be right back. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. And today's guest is Brittany Corrigan. Like I said, um, Brittany is the author of the poetry collection's Breaking, Navigation, 40 Weeks, and most recently, Daughters. A series of persona poems and the voice of daughters of various characters from folklore, mythology, and popular culture. So, nostalgia. A collection of poems exploring climate change, extinction, and the Anthropocene age is forthcoming from Jack Leg Press in 2023, and we'll read some poems from that book, too. Brittany was raised in Colorado and has lived in Portland, Oregon, for the past three decades, where she's an alumna and employee of Reed College. She's currently at work on her first short story collection, and here she is, Brittany Corrigan. Hey, Brittany, so glad you could join us today.
2: Hi, so great to be here, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, and um,
0: how do you want to start? Do you want to read a, What do you want to read from first?
2: Sure, I well, I thought I'd read a poem from Daughter since that's the, the new book out to get us going. so yeah, there's beauty right here. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm gonna start with um, Bigfoot's Daughter, which was one of the first poems I wrote for the collection. Um, and I, uh, I live in Oregon and I like to start with this one because it's very Pacific Northwesty. <laughs> so this is Bigfoot's Daughter. You want to believe in the bulk and brown of him reeling through the thicket, that flash you thought you saw, the eyes that spun. You want terror to walk beside you, you want the wild rush of escape, you want the story. You want to be alone with your fear, all of it true, your heart loud like a woodpecker striking the trees that seem no longer peaceful but sentient and poised to uproot, that cry in the woods that swallows all other sound. But listen, what I want you to hear is birdsong, the lifting that comes from such beauty, the way the trills and warbles sift through the stalling rain, alight on the ghosts of our breath, congregate and hover as the forest hums. My father, he is fine-furred and tawny, eyes green as fiddlehead ferns. Tangled and swift with his stories, his laughter sweeps through the undergrowth, bends you aside. I place my small footprints in his footprints, leave you stunned. If you watch the edges of his heart, gentle forth through his body, soft and blurred, And glowing will you change your mind about the monster witness the glisten and tremble the moon gazing down on the paws of the lake like that the dark not so complete my father I ride on his shoulders bring the sky down with my singing fill your chest with a joy you can't explain We can make you believe what you saw in the woods is something fierce and secret, the story of your own longing, but not yours to claim.
0: And that was Bigfoot's Daughter, the first poem (laughs) from um, the newest book from Brittany uh, Daughters, um, which, as Brittany said, explores in the first person daughters of various um, sort of legends and folklore figures, which is just a I don't know. It's going to be, seem maybe a strange compliment. But the thing that stands out most in this book is that how you carry the theme through so well through all of the different characters. It's a thick, it's not that short. I mean, it's a, it's a hundred page book. And, um, and it never feels sort of like it gets like old or like a, you know, like a trope that you're doing through the whole book. So I'm curious how you, um, like like manage to keep it up and like keep your interest going and like why you were drawn to writing this book in the first place?
2: Sure yeah so um it it started sort of accidentally actually and I for years had been writing really a lot of um Sort of personal, like confessional style work for many years, and um, but I had written um, in college. My senior thesis had been um, fairy tale revisioning and a lot of persona work. And I, um, over the weekend of my 40th birthday, so 10 years ago now, um, I went to a workshop where we were asked to bring some a poem that uh, was material we were finding difficult to grapple with. And we workshopped that the first day. It was a two-day workshop, and the next uh, our homework that night was to try to write about that same subject matter um, in a persona poem. The idea being that you could sort of get at that difficult material maybe from a different angle and maybe sort of access it better. And that sort of reignited my interest in persona work. And so then I, I just sort of wrote this scarecrow's daughter poem as a on a kind of on a lark and. It was fun. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to do a poem, you know, in the voice of Bigfoot. That'll be cool. It totally wasn't working. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it from Bigfoot's daughter's perspective. And once there were two, and then they ended up being just by accident, the exact same length, the whole poem, you book, you'll notice too, if you have it in front of you, it's all, they're all six stanzas of six lines each. They ended up that way accidentally. And then I was like, well, now I have a project. Um, And so I knew that this was going to be challenging and that it would be challenging to carry a conceit like this through a book and that it might be hard to publish because of that. But I was so interested in it. um, I made a long list of daughters that I was interested in. And every time I finished one, I kind of started on another. And um, what I liked about them and kept me interested in writing them is that they weren't just me imagining um a daughter of, of this character and what her life might be like, a lot of them are also really about something else underneath. And so that for me was what was interesting is what's what's the underneath, what's the topic I'm really writing about through this this voice.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the is the thing that carries it through, you know, is that there's so many different things that you touch on. Um, at what point like in writing each poem did you know like what the topic was gonna be? Like did you just start out and then it emerged organically or did you sort of have an idea for most of them ahead of time?
2: Both. So sometimes I knew ahead of time, like when I, when I put Goldilocks on my list, I knew that that one was going to be about folks struggling with houselessness. Um, But like alien abductees daughter, when I started her, I was, I was in mineral Washington at a residency and it's a site of a really famous, um, UFO sighting and I was like oh this will be a fun one and it wasn't until I was actually writing that one that I was like oh actually I'm writing about a you know a daughter who's dealing with an alcoholic father but that sort of came as I was writing so so both some of them I knew going in and some I just let I let them take me where they where they would
0: <laughs> yeah that's so interesting uh, why don't you read the next one uh, to keep the keep people with an idea of what what this book is all about
2: sure um so there's several, several of them that use uh, mythology and characters from mythology, so I thought I'd throw one of those in here today. So this one is Minotaur's Daughter. My mother's inner compass never falters. If the king had known her gift for navigation, he might have set her to a fitting task. But beauty veils from men the truest center. And so he sent her in to be devoured. Fear was a thing my mother cast before her like torchlight. The walls were but quarry stones, ordinary and smooth. The smell of the bull, familiar as her farm, just another earthy beast to feed and tend. So when my father's breath fired beside her as she stepped within the labyrinth's heart, my mother simply offered up her palm like an apple to a horse. She gentled his horns, bowed his startled head, and laid her brow to his. Violence makes of the world a maze. Consider my grandfather, the white bull, how his life was spared from sacrifice. Consider my grandmother cursed with unnatural love and their beast child consumed with hunger. In every civil man hides a beast. In every maddened beast sleeps the heart of a child. My monstrous father cradled me with kindly arms, tucked the softness of my curls against the coarse hairs of his chest. Now, from the labyrinth's center, we watch the architect's son fall back to earth, waxy feathers dropping away from the sun. Even the sky is a cage. My mother maps us to her. She knows the way out, but won't
3: say.
0: And that was Minotaur's Daughter uh, from um, Brittany Corgan's newest book, Daughters. Um, So Brittany, let's take a broader view. And and Mm -hmm. just how did you start writing poetry and why? Like, what is it about poetry that makes it something that you do? And and, and you do so, I mean, you have three books coming out in very rapid succession. They're all very different, which makes it seem like... um, you know, poetry must be very central to your way of sort of navigating the world. So, so how did that come to be? How long have you been writing, and 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 why are you drawn to poetry in particular?
2: Yeah, um, as long as I can remember. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I was writing poetry when I was a little kid, and I I save everything. Background, <laughs> so I do have my little little books that are these tiny little poems about popcorn or whatever. And so, yeah, no, I was, I was writing when I was a little kid and then, um, and remember being really excited about it when we would actually do it in school, in elementary school and we'd actually be asked to write poems. And that was always so exciting for me. And then, um, Uh, yeah. And then I just continued it into college. I had, I had moments in college where I was like, I remember taking like the, you know, introduction to poetry, like not creative writing class, but academic class and being, um, uh, both excited and then also sometimes heartbroken. Um, it was hard for me to talk critically about poems. I loved sometimes. And I think, I think that was part of my, my love for it. Like you want to talk about it, but it was hard to watch them be ripped apart. Sometimes I remember us reading, um, meditation at Lagunitas by, um, Robert Haas in, in that class. And I loved the poem and the class really didn't. And I remember it being really difficult for me to just watch them rip the blackberries apart. Um, But, you know, and then I, you know, and then I was but I was writing, you know, all through college and then and then beyond. So, yeah, it's always something I've um, I've done that I've come to to um, process, whether it's like emotions or personal experiences or things, um, uh, things I want to comment on out in the world or like in the case of daughter, something, you know, imaginative um, and. uh, I guess more fantastical, all of those angles, um, that exist in me. Um, poetry is usually what I head to first for, for writing about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it always feels like, like poems are looking for a surprise. Like you're looking to sort of surprise yourself as you write and, um, and, and come up with something that, that is sort of there, but not quite articulated. You know, Do you remember the first poem you wrote that, that sort of surprised you and, and, you know, in, in the sort of a cuz i think when we're kids we write in a certain way you know and then we sort of gravitate more toward um a different kind of creativity maybe that does that was there a, a time where that like clicked for you
2: oh my gosh i've never been asked that question before and it's such a good question um i don't know you know like maybe maybe in college you know like i remember like this was in the so i was in college in the early 90s and um and was just that you know being introduced to like feminism and stuff then there was that sort of resurgence of the feminist movement then and i think i remember like i was reading poets like sharon holds and like oh my gosh i can we can write about this kind of stuff and so i think probably i don't know if i can pinpoint an exact poem but i think some of the things i was writing in college were like a revelation for me in terms of oh this is subject matter for poetry and i'm allowed to talk about this mm-hmm. and i'm you know so um that probably was was kind of that moment for me, as a young poet.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, there was a, just one poem where, like, I wrote, I didn't know what I was writing about, but it's, but it still meant something, and I was like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. like that is strange." <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I always wonder, you know, how that progresses with with poets, and because one thing too is that we tend to write. Um, a lot of people write when they're young, you know, like, like, write when they're, you know, elementary school age, starting a lot of people. And then as they get older, um, you know, as teenagers, it, but then eventually it sort of fades away for a lot of people. And, and I think that's really sort of heartbreaking that people, um, you know, lose the writing. So I'm curious, yeah. always like, like why people stick with it and, and how we can get more people to stick with it, you know?
2: Yeah. Right. Or to even stick with reading it if they're not going to write it, because I don't know how many times I mean, you probably hear it, too. People are like, I don't understand poetry. I don't get poetry. And um, uh, for me, I like that's one of the things I want to get past. And when I think some of these things like Bigfoot's daughter help get past, like somebody's like, oh, I know what that is like, you know, like, oh, I can read poetry. Like I'm always looking for ways to sort of get those those reluctant poetry readers back into the fold.
0: (laughs) Um, so in this book, I i, don't, I didn't count how many. It's—it's it's fascinating too that you said I, I read the whole book and did not notice that they were all six, um, six, six line stanzas. All um, right. <laughs> was there? But I didn't count how many um, characters you have. It's about maybe it looks like maybe forty, if I count really There's quick. Fifty of them. Yeah. So it, was there yeah. any one that you struggled with in particular to to like find a, a, a way to anchor on into some bigger meaning?
2: Mm, there were, yeah, there were definitely some that I muscled through more that were more difficult so it's like swan maiden's daughter i knew that i wanted that one to be about addiction and a mother struggling with drug addiction and that one was i don't know why that one was so difficult to write that one was and i don't have personal experience with that a lot of these poems i didn't have the personal experience i could see it's an imagining right so um that one for some reason was super difficult to write and went through many many drafts where some of the other ones like the voice just started talking and they went so yeah there were definitely ones that were more more, more challenging to get at for whatever reason <laughs> even though the subject matter was so rich both in you know the subject I wanted to talk about but and the mythology behind it in that case the story behind it so yeah that,
0: and was, and that kind of gets yeah. a, another thing I wanted to ask about this book was was the just the use of persona poems itself um, which mm-hmm. which used to be something that people did pretty regularly but now it's sort of you know, people are very wary of doing persona just for the, the idea of like lived experience and all that stuff. And, yeah. and, um and sort of being more skeptical of imagination. I think we're sort of in an era of literature that way. So how do you approach the persona aspect of writing about things that you don't know? Like, do you have any reservations about like getting it wrong and things like that? Like, yeah. like, like, how do you approach that part of the topic?
2: Yeah, I for sure was thinking about and that, you know, I, I wrote this book over a period of five years. And so I think that conversation was like intensifying over that period of time, too. And so I definitely was thinking about that. And um, in terms of like, what, how can I write about something that's not my, my personal experience. And I think I was just I tried to be more careful about like, I'm not trying to appropriate anyone's culture in any of these poems there. Were, I was trying more to get at either like Taking stories that already existed, like this this mythology, this, you know, myth, myth mythology or folklore, or some some in some case it's like professions like taxidermy or that don't have that sort of um, conflict about them, um, but also that you know, um, even though I personally don't have like you know a parent in my life who is struggling with addiction. I have something to say about that issue, even though it might not be my lived experience. And I think being able to develop an empathy um, by thinking about what that must, what that might be like for someone, is an is something important to do. And I so, and I think the persona can sometimes give us access to being able to do that. It's not, it's. I mean, it is me, obviously, but it's not me um preaching or talk whatever about that topic it's it's getting at it from the side (laughs) a little bit through the persona that might make it both more accessible to folks to read about but also um a way in that doesn't feel um like i'm appropriating or um or that kind of thing so but yeah it's definitely a topic i i thought about and there were you know there there's daughters i probably wouldn't wouldn't do you know that that aren't my culture or or that kind of thing or you know yeah <laughs> so. did you ever
0: hear any like pushback from readers or editors over over the persona we did a persona poems issue and some people i, I mm-hmm. remember very strongly one person um who was in the issue said that i don't write persona poems anymore <laughs> and um, and that kind of struck me as i don't know she said that like this was the last persona poem i ever wrote but if you want to publish it you can <laughs> And um, I don't know, like, like, was there any pushback for, um, you know, from editors or from readers for, for about about that kind of appropriation type thing?
2: No, at least not that I've heard yet. So not not from editors, not when, you know, the, the, the manuscript was taken by the press, um, uh, not when I was sending them out to journals for publication. Mm-hmm. Um, before the book came out, um and I haven't had pushback from readers yet, so maybe there are readers out there that it that it bothers, and I, you know, I'd love to have that conversation too, you know, and hear about why I, even though I was, you know, I was trying to be very careful about it, but that doesn't mean they succeeded a hundred percent, you know. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: Well, to me, I just think the power of art is to be able to to have empathy and and move into some other space that's not your own, and so it, it feels very limiting to. Um, to not want to do stuff like that, so I'm I'm a fan of persona poems still, despite um despite what's you know what some of the 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 what we call the zeitgeist is right now. Um, yeah. If anybody has any questions uh for Brittany, leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube, and I'm watching both, and I'll pass them along. But let's hear the last poem from daughters, and we'll move on to the next book. I think.
2: Okay. So, um, And I've been very interested to hear as I hear from people what their, who their favorite daughters are. Because so far they, have, they, have, they don't really align with who my favorite daughters are. But this one gets picked by a lot of people as their favorite daughter. And so that's why I chose her for today. Um, it says time traveler's daughter. It's completely annoying. My mother says things like, you shouldn't go out with him. It's not going to end well. I'm just trying to keep you from heartbreak, honey. I'm using my power for good. You should be thanking me. Maybe you could get us a woman president, I tell her, instead of meddling with the high school dating scene. She gives me that disappointed look, the one that means I'll never understand. I'm working on it, she says. It's complicated. She never takes me along, claims it's not good for my developing brain. Mom, I say, if my mind can wrap around Euclid and Einstein... It can probably handle hanging out with your 1980s big-haired friends watching MTV. Sometimes she says things like, Maybe I should take you back so you'll appreciate your cell phone and the internet and cars that run on French fry oil. Whatever, I tell her. Bring me back a pterodactyl egg and I'll stop asking. But I know it's not like that. She can't bring anything with her. If she could, my dad would be here now helping me with my physics homework, taking me out on clear nights to watch the stars. She won't admit she visits him, but I know. Instead, I watch her disappear over and over, hope she'll survive her wormhole again, hope all her atoms are still her. Mom, I ask, what are you fixing? She says, time's not like that, honey, not like a needle and thread, not something that
0: mends. Yeah, that's a great ending for that poem. That was Time Travel's Daughter uh, from the book Daughters. And I just can't get over that, that they're all the same exact length and, and that I didn't notice that having read it.
2: How, I, well, I threw in some like, concrete poems and stuff like that to mess, you know. like Yeah,
0: you, you sort of mess, you know, some of them have skinny lines and, and somehow, you know, it just sort of slips by a note, at least for me. Um, did you find yourself like writing toward that? Like, how was that? I, I, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who had a form like that that was so sort of at once, you know, so strict on the one hand, but very flexible on the other. Did you have any trouble like fitting the poems into that? Did you ever find yourself like padding and start trying to find ways to stretch out poems, or, or having to condense? Or did they all kind of they, they feel like they have like the arc that they're supposed to, which is why it's yeah. so so hidden in, in the reading experience.
2: Right. It felt like just the right length to me. And I liked having the constraint because I, it helped me like focus the story. Like I'm like, this is how many lines I have. And you're right, like I did vary them. And some of them have very, you know, they don't all have the same amount of words, the same length, like formally. But um, so if, if there wasn't as much to say, then maybe that's a really short lined poem. And, and if there's, if it's more narrative, some of them are quite dense. So, um, but just having that constraint really did help me focus, focus each story and be able to tell it in the you know, in just, it just felt just right for them for some reason. So, yeah,
0: Um, yeah. there's a question here on Facebook from Kelly Russell Agadon before we move on to the next book. But she says, um, yeah, Yeah. Kelly, Um, I would would love to hear your writing process and what the biggest challenge in putting together this collection is. I kind of asked some specific questions Mm -hmm. about challenges, but what in general, leaving it completely open ended, what was the biggest challenge, would you say, uh, with putting this together?
2: So my process for this one was that, um, I just had, I had my list of daughters and there were way more of them than made it into the book. And, um, and, uh, as Kelly knows from being at mineral school, I had them up on this big chalkboard when I was working at them in residence. Um, and, uh, so that would help me visualize them. But then I, would, you know, I would like just Grab When I finished one, I'd go and grab another one and be like, what, is, what does she have to say? Who wants to talk next? You know, what are you going to be about? So that was sort of the process of writing them. Um, the challenge for sure was deciding, like, what what is the larger story for each of these daughters? Like, I, I think it would have been not as interesting of a book if they're just each talking about what they're doing. <laughs> you know, this is what I do. My dad's Bigfoot. This is what I do. My dad, my mom's whatever. That's. The, um, the hardest part for me was figuring out what's the underneath story, um, what do I really want to talk about, and how am I going to use either this, this um, myth or this character or this profession and the tools of that trade to tell that story. And so that, um, that was the challenge and also the, um, the fun of mm-hmm. each one of them. Yeah and, and
0: so um so each of these three books that we're looking at has a very um specific theme that like unifies it. Um is that is there a reason that you you choose to do that? Um is that the kind of books you like to read? Um do you think about the audience you know in saying I could I could you know find readers for this cuz they'll like mythology and i can find a readers about this because they like news you know do you think of it that Mm -hmm. way or is it just that you like reading books like that like what why do you have these um tightly themed collections is what you're, you're going after yeah
3: that's
2: interesting, too. Nobody's ever asked that to me either. But I do like I, you know, like, I think my, my very first book wasn't like that. It was sort of like 20 years worth of poetry that then got selected into one manuscript. But the ones that followed have all been like that. And I think it's for me, it's because I, I finished one. And I'm like, what's next? What am I interested in? What am I going to write about? And something about having them thematically linked going in helps me with my writing process, um, as opposed to just writing um just writing poems and then and then looking for the the theme and finding I guess I'm not prolific enough maybe to like to have like now I have 200 poems to choose from and I I don't really work that way Mm -hmm. I like I, I don't um make as much time or have as much time with with full time and job and kids and all the other thing and so I think having a theme helps me helps me focus a manuscript and I like the deep dive of it. So I like, I like the research. I like, um, thinking about how I'm going to, uh, look at this theme from a myriad of directions or voices or, um, points of view. Or, um, and, um, I like sort of that, that deep exploration of, of the subject matter mm-hmm. and material. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Me too. And and Kelly, again, Kelly russell again. says, I love the project book and tightly themed collections. For me as a reader, it's highly satisfying when poets explore one strong or have one strong theme to explore. And and we do the same thing with our chapbooks too. Cause I just, I mean, it's not like, like I'd have to pick a book that have a theme, but, um, it feels like the ones that have the most impact have something holding them together, that, you know, more tightly than the, the book, especially with the chapbook length. Um, But there's another question before we move on from this book. But Nate Jacob asks, are there any daughters whose stories you simply could not approach, though you'd attempted or wanted to write? Um, Is there a daughter whose story is too sacred to tell?
2: Oh, that is fascinating. Um, There probably is, but not one that I, like, wrote and then left out or tried writing and then left out. Um, There's plenty that got left out, but I never actually wrote them. Hmm. So I... I don't know. I mean, there were some uh, too sacred to tell. That is fascinating. I have never thought about that before. And I I don't know. But I'm sure there is one, I'd have to think about it. (laughs) I'd have to go back to the list and see who I didn't choose and choose and why.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting. Or another book, The Daughters, I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't tell. Right? Yeah, I
2: could have done. Forever. I set myself that 50 as a way to stop because I could have just written daughter poems for the rest of my
0: life. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting, too. Um, so let's move on to the next book, which um, is the, okay. the book that immediately preceded it. I think it came out just like a few months ago, um, a few months yeah. before Daughters, right? Breaking, um, which mm-hmm. is from uh, Word Tech Editions. Um, Daughters was from um, hourly press Early press, mm-hmm. every say that in portland and um, and so the breaking is, is a book of news poems, which is actually the reason why I asked you on because I got this book in the mail, and I thought, Oh wow, a whole book of news poems. Po is such a big. Um, you know, t- thing that we do at Rattle. And so I'd love to talk to you about this. There's three poems from the book that are from Rattle, um, but a lot of wonderful poetry about current events. And it has that really, I love going back through the Poet Respond um, archives and like reading old poems. And um, we do that on the show all the time because it's so interesting to look back at like time that way. You know, like like okay. there's these events that seem so big at the time and you remember them and are taken back to that moment. And it's a really interesting almanac um, for the, the way that we encounter the world in our daily life, really, through the news. Um, so so what drew you to write a whole book of poems about news? And, and how did that start?
2: OK, so this one is different, like in that I didn't go into this one the way I've gone into my others. Like, I'm going to write all these poems on this theme. This one was sort of like, and actually, it's because of you. So like, I, oh, really? <laughs> I, yeah, it is. So I hadn't. Uh, it wasn't a topic I usually delved into. I stayed kind of, in my poetry in general, I stayed kind of away from politics and current events and comment, commenting on that sort of thing. It really wasn't something I did. Um, and I forget which one came first, but it was because of Rattle's poet Res, Res, Poets Respond. Whatever event that happened, I was like, I'm going to try to write about that. Um, and uh, And then I just kind of did a few, they would just come up once in a while. And it was when you put out your call for a chat book that I was like, I wonder if I have enough of these for a chat book. And I did. And so I was like, Oh, now that's interesting. I didn't realize that I hadn't written over the course of the, you know, there's like seven years worth of events maybe or so in here. Um, I didn't realize that I was, had written so many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, So, um, and so then I, I pulled them together Um and, you know, to see if I could make something from them. So this one did happen a little more accidentally. And um, just, you know, I found that I was that writing these poems, I guess, against about current events was helping me to to cope with them. Because it's, you know, there's a, a couple of uplifting ones in here, but it's kind of dark. Like, and I, I think when, uh, at least for me, when I, when I approach wanting to write a poem about something in the news, it's usually because something terrible has happened. And I need a way to talk about that. And so it is a dark little thing and it's good that it's not longer than a chapbook, I think, because it's, it's, it can be hard to take all it all at once, I think. So, yeah, yeah.
0: I agree. I mean, that's the one thing that I'm, or, you know, one of the few things I'm always aware of as I try to pick a poem every week or or maybe two Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I am always looking for poems that have like a brighter side or like a, a more like today's poem, even though, um, you know, the, um, the bone collector of Spain, mm-hmm. um, even though it was a, a sad story underneath it, it, it the, the, it's a heartwarming thing, too, that somebody's taking the care and have been doing this for decades. And so yeah, I'm always trying uh, to okay. find the sort of the, the positivity amongst all the news, which is rough. Um, yeah. So, so it's interesting to hear you say that because that's kind of, it feels like you picking through this collection is similar to me picking through what to, what to publish every <laughs> week. Um, yeah. But let, let's read a poem and then, uh, and then we'll talk more about this this topic.
2: Okay. Yeah, so this one, again, Pacific Northwest oriented. Um, And they each, in the chat book, they each have a little summary at the end about the news event that they're about. So this one is um, after the mother, Orca Tahlequah, J35, who carried her dead calf for more than two weeks near the San Juan Islands in July and August of 2018. And this was happening while immigrant families were being separated at the United States border with Mexico. So this one's called The Carrying, and it's got an epigraph at the beginning, Grief and Love Don't Belong to Us, We Share It with Other Animals, by Barbara King. We cannot see the bottom of a heart pooled up with loss, or chart the weight of what is empty, its heavy press. What we see is the dead orca calf, balanced on its mother's rostrum, How deep she dives to retrieve it each time it falls off. We watch the circular surfacing of the female whales, keeping vigil near the moonlit cove, lapped by the Salish sea. We dare not take the orca calf away. Fiercely, we protect this ritual of carrying, empathy surfacing in our veins. We can say she's pushing through a four-knot current, with labored breaths. We can say her baby has been dead four days. When we say this, the blood in our own hearts leadens. The orcas are better than we are at buoying up our own. We watch how the human mothers carry their children from harm, endangered hearts pulsing with fear and love. We can say they are pushing through forbidden borders with labored breaths. We can say they have been traveling for days. What we see is the children wrenched from their mother's arms, the families in a tight circling, the sinking to their knees. The mother whale falls behind the other. We see her and weep. The tide is against us. The children slip and slip and slip away.
0: That was the carrying from uh, the, the shorter book, um, Breaking, by Brittany Corrigan that just came out from WordTech recently, that, earlier this year. And, and that was a poem about um, Telequa, the the mother orca who was carrying her baby. And it, it's, re- it's really interesting reading this book because I've read most of the poems in submissions. And um, <laughs> and I remember a lot of them. Like, I remember, I'm, I'm surprised at how many I remember. Like, you had a bunch of poems that were, like, I was debating. And then, you know, I picked three, and then, like, other ones were in the way. I remember this one. I We had the one from um, um um what's his name um i can't remember his name but we had another poem about the same topic the week before and i was mm-hmm. thinking should i do another poem about this or not and then i didn't but i remember it which is more than i usually do so that's interesting um but putting this collection together um and like looking back through the timeline of like the news that you were writing about did you mm-hmm. feel like there were any like any changes over time like cuz i was thinking about that a lot as i was reading through here like in, mm-hmm. in the nature of the news, I mean, um, do you, do you feel like, like, like a, a shift in, in subject or, or in the way that things are framed? Cause I kind of do, but I'm wondering what you, what you think about that.
2: Oh, interesting. I, um, Hmm. Um, I guess, uh, well, for me anyway, some of them shifted from being about something like like this, like like the the mother orca and tying in the border. Some of them are more overtly political. There's ones I wrote after Trump was elected, and those for me were very new kinds of poems for me to write about politics so uh, straightforwardly. <laughs> um, so, um, and I think there's definitely a shift from from just sort of. Um, Maybe just being able to tell the story of what happened to commenting on the story that happened in a more sort of overtly political way, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about that either. But yeah, yeah they all, the, the thing yeah. I picked was like I picked it because it was something that upset me usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, That's
0: the thing that I noticed and was thinking about and not really about like how you were writing about them, but just the, the, the way the news sort of functions itself. Mm-hmm. Seems just to have evolved. And I was trying to just sort of daydream about this as I was re- reading the book. But um it feels like um earlier in, in Poets Respond too, I'm kinda of like combining the book and Poets Respond, but earlier on it felt like news was more isolated, like each event was like a one-off, like strange or upsetting or something event. Yeah. And now it feels like the news is all tied together in a sort of grand narrative in a way. And and mm-hmm. I wonder like what, I don't know, like and you mentioned the political, which is kind of has a lot to do with it. Or maybe there's just more of a control on the news and, and like making like framing it in terms of a narrative it is like the narrative makers get better at, at doing that sort of thing with the Internet. I'm not sure what it is, but there definitely is a different feel to it. Like there was a, a lot of things were like like the. Uh, like that poem about the the orca, it was like this one-time thing that something happened. And it's hard to think of poems that aren't like, and, and um, the pandemic sort of has a lot to do with it, too, because like that sort of flavors everything, like everything is in the context of the pandemic as well. And so it just feels like this sort of goes from a scattering into like a more focused narrative or something, which is just odd to think about. And But I don't know, it, it's just strange. And, and looking at poems through time... Um, makes that stand out in a strange way too that I I wouldn't have if I was just thinking about the news. So, mm-hmm. so I found mm-hmm. that really interesting. Um, so so how do you go about um, like like finding a way to write about the news story that that adds something, or that that isn't just you know like I have this opinion about it and I'm going to share it, but mm-hmm. like like has some kind of sense of discovery and, and deeper meaning and things. I assume it's similar to the the way that you would approach the persona poems and daughters because you have to try to find something underneath like the surface level of what's going on. Right.
2: Right. And often a lot of these news poems, um, what ended up connecting me to being able to write about them was uh, the bringing in the personal a little bit. Um, uh, I think of this reminds me actually of like um, Cheryl Strayed's, Dear Sugar column, where like she sort of reversed the way we do those, we did those like letter letters for help, right? Like she inserted herself into them as a response, and so I think um, for me that's kind of that was kind of my window into these. I'm like, how can I how can I write it? But there's a poem about the Boston Marathon bombing, and I that was something I really wanted to write about, um, and I didn't know how. And what got what gave me access to it was this. Um, this cat killing a bird outside the window where I worked and something about that where I was like but I love this cat let me into that larger story of what what is it like to have to you know love somebody who does something terrible and so that was from my window in and that happened on a on several of these poems I think like well, how does this relate to me and what do I have to say about it as opposed to just you know talking about it out in the world um mm-hmm each other i guess
0: yeah <laughs> and, and how often like like if you see a news story do you like know you have a feeling in there that needs to be expressed and articulated or are there mm-hmm. like things where you just like want to write about this and then you find that feeling later do you know do you know what i mean
2: mm-hmm. i think some of some of each you know there's and there's been ones that i wanted to write about and then just just couldn't just couldn't successfully do it for whatever reason and i think maybe because i couldn't find the the personal connection to it maybe even though it was something that um have just affected me just knowing about but not not feeling as connected in some way um so uh yeah so I think both <laughs> depending on yeah. this on the topic some of them some of them I knew exactly what I want to say yeah. And, yeah.
0: And, and how many like poems did you write like how many did you have to choose from that you'd saved was it a lot that you pared down to this or was this sort of the ones that you worked and you saved and that was that was that
2: yeah it was mostly the ones I'd worked that I'd saved I think there were a couple that got left out that I had written but mostly it was just when I was like how many of these do I have and I was like I have the exact right amount for a checkbook you know so yeah most of them were just they just sort of started collecting (laughs) Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I was I was doing so many of them so yeah
0: well well, let's hear the next one the next one is is one from Poets Respond. is Astro Sisters Yeah.
2: yeah yeah This is my favorite from the book, actually. This is one of the uplifting ones. So, so um, this one is after the first all-female spacewalk outside of the International Space Station on October 18th, 2019. This is Astro Sisters, which is what the two astronauts refer to each other as. On the earth that passes beneath, leaves brighten, nova-like, in the cooling air. And the young girls ready their costumes for Halloween. Growing bones step into flight suits with embroidered names. Transparent globes frame buoyant faces freckled with stars. Miles above, two women navigate the space station in weightless calm. Their voices tethered to the woman in mission control who talks them through each task, each measured step to power the solar arrays. Like the pace of this spacewalk, we have come to this moment slowly, when the women do their work in the universe and their male crewmates look out through the glass. As the Astro sisters climb their way back into the airlock, Girl Scout troops are wrapped with attention. Teenage girls in physics class follow the live stream on the miracles of tiny screens in their palms. And the little daughters, not yet in school, watch as the hatch door opens. And where once there was darkness, now there is infinite space.
0: And that was Astro Sisters from Breaking, uh, the chapbook of poems about news events from the last seven or so years. and so we're going to move on to the, the next book too, which is forthcoming in 2023. And, um, and this book is, is sort of similar in a way in that mm-hmm. it's, um you know, it, it's based on sort of like a current events almost. I mean, it's, it's based on climate change and, and extinction in the Anthropocene. Um, what made you want to write a book about this, this topic?
2: Um, I, it just just seems so urgent, and mm-hmm. and I and I I have a love for for nature and animals, and they make their way into my poetry a lot anyway. And um, I felt like I just this was something important that I should be writing about, and had a lot to say about, and had a personal connection to. And I'm raising children in this world, and so um, I decided it's a topic I I wanted to pursue. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah um well, let's hear a poem from there. We have three poems to share from uh, that co- actually four that yeah. you said. So so let's hear the first one.
2: Okay, so there's several um there's several poems in the collection that I call the world without us poems that are sort of imaginings of what would happen if humans were gone. So this one is called the strip mall changes its mind. At first it took comfort in the the sense from body beyond floral powders and cinnamon lotions mingled in the stuffy dim. It watched over so many unfooted shoes. Bright dresses called out in bold prints to suits in the dry cleaner's rack, still rows of ghosts. Then the grief set in. The conveyor belt of Sushi Town twisted like an empty gut. Its capillaries of people gone, quiet at the heart. Undone. It hardly noticed windows shattering, walls crumbling as trees limbed their way in. Sunlight on every rain warped floor. Missing the humans with their electric bodies, wires and pipes spilled out between unmoved beams, tireless beaks, bored holes in everything. But the moss was so soft, it made the unframing bearable. Signs unlatched, bedded down in tendrilled leaves. When the fox moved in, birthed two russet kits in a thicketed shopping cart, wind like a breath, a sigh, rose past the splintered laughters, the unlit lights. And so it happened, the forgetting, painless, its tender reclaiming, dangling ceiling tiles, sloppy with stars
0: and that was a poem from um the next collection coming out in 2023 that was the strip mall changes its mind. And so so for this topic um, how did you like find enough content to fill up a book? Um, you know because yeah. that, that's you know unlike the the other poems are, or the, the other books are sort of um themes that you can plug a lot of stuff in really easily. <laughs> but but staying on theme for this book seems like it's very difficult. I mean there's so I mean, there's it seems like there's only so many things you can say about it, but yet you fill up a whole manuscript. So how did you like find things that you wanted to say about it?
2: Yeah. So, well, I have this, I started keeping a Google doc of links to all the stories, um, in the news or whatever about, about different things on this topic that I was interested in or horrified by or, or whatever. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like 10 pages long that I still keep it. So, um, even though I'm finished with this book, cause I still have stuff to say, but, um, and so to me, it seems sort of endless. Like I just could have kept talking about it. Um, because it's it's an, so immense and it affects so so many different parts of our lives and the lives of all the beings we share the planet with and so so the book is um, you know some of the poems are sort of commentary on on what's happening and some are more just celebrations of of the creatures and plants and animals that. Um, that inhabit the earth with us and that we should be paying attention to and trying to protect and save as well. And so some of it was just me trying to call attention to all of those different creatures and, mm-hmm. and beings um, and not center the humans in this um, but center, you know, the larger earth.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, you mentioned that you have kids and, and that's one thing I worry about a lot is just this sense that, like we're the last generation and you know this sort of um i don't know there's like a doom to everything which which comes up i guess every generation almost right because we have the under our desks in the cold war era too and um but but there's something like sort of more pervasive about the you know the the the, the way the world is going um mm-hmm. how do you how do you like i don't know how do we keep our kids from being depressed <laughs>
2: right. I don't know. <laughs> day by day by day. I mean, I think by, I mean, this was, this writing about it is my sort of contribution to like trying to talk about this in a way that, um, that people can connect to or that resonates with people or, um, or starts the conversation, starts conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, for my kids, I guess you just, we have to focus on the, the smaller things that you know we can do as uh, one human, or as a family, or as a community, um, and start small at least <laughs> there. So, because otherwise, yeah, it can be really overwhelming if we if we start to dwell on it. Um, so yeah, focused action without being completely overwhelmed because it is overwhelming. And and who knows? I I mean, my son did. We were talking about with the climate summit that happened recently, and that 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 magical number that one point five degrees. And my son was like, "Well, what happens if that happens?" And I was like, "There's no going back, you know. There's no going back." <laughs> so yeah, so I think that for him was a moment of like he's eighteen. was a moment of like crap, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, that's. I mean, like, like
0: why? I mean, I don't know. I just imagine, um, you know, being eighteen or something, and thinking about the future, Mm -hmm. and how just you know depressing that would be to think about this topic in relation to, you know, growing up. Like, like most people that are eighteen are like wondering about what they're going to do, excited about like a you know significant other they find or whatever, and and then to to have this sort of like dark cloud hanging over all the thoughts of the Mm -hmm. future. I mean, that's almost like psychological torture or something or like learn helplessness or something. It just feels like an yeah. awful thing to inflict on kids. And yet it's such an important topic too, that we have to talk about it. So I don't know. That's just something that I, that I struggle with and think about a lot because you know, depression well, and anxiety are just through the roof yeah. for young people, um, you know, for many but, reasons, I'm, but this is one of them.
2: Yeah, for sure. But they're also, I think a lot of young people are leading this conversation. And so I find that really inspirational. Like the amount and there's 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 some poems in this book that deal with that too but that you know they're they're starting the conversation they're taking on the adults and the power and the whatever to to move this conversation forward and to me that's really um heartening mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. well uh, there,
0: there's a, maybe like we have about 10 minutes left and there's three poems yeah. left in this thing so let's do another poem and then we'll, we'll talk some more
2: okay and we don't have to get to all of them if we don't okay. so um so this one, and these are shorter too, but this one, there's several poems um, throughout the manuscript that are um, sort of celebrations of animals that get a bad rap <laughs> that I actually really um, love. In particular, some of these North American animals that we treat as as pests, um, and really they were here first. And so this is this is called um, Opossum Nocturne. Perhaps it is poor night vision that keeps us from seeing how you preen our streets devouring what the sunlit crows have left behind. We misunderstand your mouth, crowded with keen-edged teeth that dissect and undo the flesh. We are too squeamish, too unbrave to carry with our human hands. We should envy your thanatotic form, how death visits you but then retreats. Why do we not adore your prehensile tail? how you dangle and brace and grip, like the acrobats we embellish with sequins and tull. The darkness inside your pouch, the nyctophilic eyes ripening within, should allure us like the night sky we wish watched over our city noise. The one so thick with stars, we're less blind for its light.
0: And as a possum nocturne uh, from the next book that's forthcoming and another wonderful ending. Um, It occurs to me that we haven't really talked much about like craft and and how you approach a poem, like at a line by line level. And and one of the things that stands out is, is just the way that the poems feel I don't know what the word is, but like clean. I mentioned like they sort of have an arc that feels fulfilled or something. Like they feel like there's just this like perfect momentum to them. Um, how do you, and then you have great endings too. So how do you, um, once you start and you know what you're writing about, how do you approach an ending? Because um, you have you have good endings. And uh, and it, are you like writing toward an ending or do you like get there and it pops up and then you cut off? Is it in the revision process? What is your, your writing process like on the individual poem level?
2: So the endings are my they're kind of my thing and they're my favorite part of the poem and I almost never virtually never what the ending is when I start (laughs) I sort of start with a a subject matter and I've usually like turned it over and over and over in my head for a very long time before I hit the page at all um and I I'm not I don't usually know where I'm going to end up (laughs) The ending usually comes to me and I'm like, oh, that's how it ends. (laughs) That's 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 what this poem is. This is how it ends. And then the revision process, of course, goes back earlier and then moves the poem toward that ending. But I almost always am surprised by the endings um, and they sort of reveal themselves to me as I'm as I'm writing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's interesting that, that that sense of surprise is just always so important for a poet um yeah and, and yeah and do you do you know the ending like when you see it are you just like bam that's the ending and then or, yeah. or do you wonder at all
2: no bam that's the ending <laughs> yeah.
0: that's
4: <what> yeah <laughs> at yeah, least if cool. I
2: know it's going to be a poem that's successful for me and that I'm going to you know that I'm going to finish and, and send out into mm-hmm. the world it's, it's bam that's the ending
0: <laughs> and have, have yeah. there been any poems where you like love the poem but you didn't get hit an ending like that and so you didn't know what to do with it and, and how did you deal with that if so
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there are some where I'm like, that's, you know, that's not quite working. And then it's just, you know, the process of revision. And I do have a poetry critique group that I meet with, and I trust their, their advice. Um, And sometimes they're like, actually, you know, it's maybe the ending is here in the middle of the poem, and (laughs) you need to work toward that. So, um, so yeah, I definitely get feedback and critique. And some of them are a little harder to, to come to than others, Mm -hmm. certainly. (laughs)
0: And and would you say you like like a revelatory ending or is there a certain like style of it? Because some people like like the sort of like the bam epiphany and some people like the understated. Is that something that you think about?
2: Mm, Yeah. It is. And I, I like the, I like the just little bit of a twist. (laughs) So the Mm -hmm. ones I like are something that's surprising. Like I live for one of the things I've missed in the pandemic with like in person readings, I live for that little moment where you finish reading a poem and someone in the audience goes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what I want from an ending. Like I want every ending to make somebody go, that's what I want. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Um, Well, I think we have time to do the last two. So, so let's do the um, let's read Anthropocene blessing, and then and then uh, we'll have time for the last one too.
2: Okay, cool. There's several of these throughout, um, and they're all for different um, endangered species. So, this is Anthropocene blessing, California condor, king of birds. You of the nine-foot wingspan, you who glide for hours on currents of air without a single beat thousands of feet above the leaden earth. Scavenger ancestor, only surviving member of your genus, longest lived. May you feast on the flesh of the dead as you toss their spirits up to the sky. May the carrion ghosts look down upon your unplumaged head, your black feathered sacred form, and be healed of all that stalked them in this world. May you not be poisoned by our buckshot, seething in each carcass we leave behind. May you outgrow our captivity to hatch your single eggs in mountain cliff caves, giant redwood trees. New world vulture, may your bulbous, wrinkled visage remember how you soared over mammoths. May you be revered as virtuous, as rising back from the brink as gathering your flock around the fallen may you take death in your mouth and find it sweet find that it sustains
0: Yeah, and that was anthropocene blessing california condor and i just love that there are praise poems in this book and that it, it mm-hmm. treats nature that way too i can really see that how this book is coming together um is it finished or are you still working yeah on it? yeah
2: it's finished. Yeah. We'll see, you know, if, if that goes through some editing with the, with the press that has it now, but yeah, it's, it's finished. So.
0: And so, so what are you working on now? Is there different projects that you mm-hmm. have going or are you sort of in search of a project right now?
2: I'm in search of new poetry project. Like now I'm not writing these sort of here and there poems um, until I decide what my next focus is really right now. What I'm focused on is the short story collection that I've been working on for the past several years. Um, it's down to just the, the editing of the last three stories that aren't finished. And so that's where my, my energy is right now is trying to, to finish that up. Um, and then, then hopefully the next poetry project will reveal itself.
0: <laughs> and what's that about? Like what, what theme does that have?
2: Yeah, so this was interesting. It's on the same theme as this latest collection. It's also climate change, um, extinction, the Anthropocene Age, all those themes sort of weave them through, weave their way through the stories, which mm-hmm. don't all focus necessarily on that, but it's definitely a recurring sort of theme throughout the book. So that was super interesting, writing in two genres on the same topic. And so... Um, that I found really fruitful and interesting too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so since you're doing both sort of on a similar topic at the same time, this is interesting. Um, what do you think is the difference between po- poetry and prose? Like, like, like what fundamentally, other than line breaks, um, you know, mm-hmm. what what is the difference?
2: Well, I think mine's a little bit blurred. So, like, my, I, my, I, I, didn't write fiction. Like I wrote some fiction as a kid, but I didn't write. I haven't never written fiction seriously as adult as an adult until recently. In fact, I was like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. But, um, but, uh, so I think mine is a little bit. Not. I don't want to say it's like a hybrid or a crossover genre, but I think my my prose is definitely more lyrical than <laughs> your average, um, average prose um and so i think of it as like they're they're fiction written by a poet (laughs) so that i feel that like that's my little niche (laughs) so um so for me they're they're well the well i can expect different topics in either in either the fiction or the poetry and uh, the poetry doesn't well the daughters have characters so i guess there are characters um but it's definitely uh you know which some topics lend themselves to one and, and not the other, depending on, on what I'm working on. So yeah. yeah. Do, you,
0: do you find, I, I've noticed that that poets, when they move to fiction tend to have fewer characters than, than sort of people mm-hmm. who are all only write fiction and if, yeah. you know, focus more on monologues. Do you find yourself doing that? Or do you have like multiple characters interacting with dialogue all the time?
2: So I have plenty of characters. Well, I, I am, I have stray away from dialogue. Like that's my heart, the hardest thing. I think it's hard anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, opt, I have some that have no dialogue in them at all. Or maybe the dialogue's just some, like, phrases in italics here and there. And mm-hmm. so I do have ones that have dialogue, but it's definitely harder for me. And um, I have to, like, uh, my and my critique group for, for prose, too, has to help me. Like, sometimes they're, like, they're editing back my descriptiveness to get to like you need you need a scene. So yeah, it's definitely challenging for me. But yeah, it's good. It's it's good to work in another genre too.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing uh you know seeing more of that book too whenever that comes out. Um, do you want to finish out with the last poem, miraculous?
2: Yeah. I'd love to. So, um, and if Kelly's still out there, a lot of the poems in this book were written in response to um, last year's um, two Sylvia's Press advent calendar prompts. It was what helped me finish this manuscript. And so, this was written in response to the Christmas Day um, prompt, which had to do with miracles. So, this is miraculous. When all the news is bad or worse, my ears ringing like a din of night insects just swelter and drone, I quiet my bones with the thought of quaking aspen. Trembling giant, grove of thousands of trees, all with a single system of roots. A million years old, bright fluttering of gold against blue. And when I think I can't take in another sorrow, each a stone stacked up like a cairn on my heart, I remember how the jaws of a snake unhinge. Its mouth opens and opens to enfold what's impossibly large, patient swallowing followed by a length of rest. And when what we've done can't be undone, hope just a speck on the future's woolly back, I jumpstart my wonder with this. The snow in Antarctica is sprinkled with the dust of ancient stars while we hunted and gathered the galaxy glittered and lay itself down in our light.
0: Another beautiful poem with a beautiful ending and, and just all your poems are so descriptive and, and someone mentioned cinematic was a the word they used on, um, mm-hmm. on the chat and and they are, it's just sort of a, a, a I imagine like a panorama scanning through things in my mm-hmm. mind. It's very, very evocative. I um, appreciate mm-hmm. all these poems. Thanks so much for sharing it. Um, prolific work you're doing. There's so many books coming out. It's kind of exciting. Congratulations yeah. on everything. And, Thank and thanks for t- being a guest tonight.
2: Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for the conversation. Yeah, my
0: <laughs> pleasure. Have a good night. You too. And so that was uh, Brittany Corrigan uh, from Portland and her um, latest book here, which we read from first, is Daughters. Um, this was um, from Early Press. Right there at the bottom. You can find that, of course, at earlypress.org And you can find more of Brittany's work um, at her website, which is brittanycorrigan.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y-C-O-R-R-I-G-A-N, brittanycorrigan.com. And um, so her books were Daughters and Breaking were the two that we had. And then the forthcoming book was Solastalgia. And I meant to ask um, what what Solastalgia means. I don't know, Nostalgia for the Sun? That's all I can kind of think of. I don't know what that means. I'm going to have to look that up during the break. But um, we are taking a break. We'll get back with the open lines. Um, the um, Here, I'll put this up on the screen. How it works is this. First, if you'd like to join in the open lines, which will go on for the next hour or so, um, all you have to do is email the poem right now to openmic, that's open, mic. That's m i c at rattle.com. And then call in, either over Skype, if you'd like to be on video, like Brittany was, or phone, like Tamara was at the beginning. Um, You can pick one or the other. Don't do both. But if you call in um, over Skype, just send me a chat message. Um, Say hello. I'd like to read a poem through the chat, and that will put you on my call list. I'll call you back when it's your turn within the next hour. If you'd like to call in by phone, the number is 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Just call, let it ring a few times, and then just hang up. And I'll see the call and I'll just call back that number. And that's how we do the open lines here. The prompt for this week was to um, write a poem that starts with Guy Walks Into a Bar. So a sort of spinoff on the Guy Walks Into a Bar joke was the prompt for this week. So if you have a poem like that, if you have a news poem, if you have a new poem that you published recently and want to share, whatever you would like, um, just feel free to send it on in for the open mic. And uh, I'll be back in just a moment as I get this stuff set up. And we're back. Uh, Thanks for letting me stand and stretch a little bit. Uh, I don't like sitting in one place. Hope you got to stretch too, refresh your drinks, all that good stuff. And like I mentioned, the prop for this week was uh, right here. Um, uh, A guy walks into a bar is one of the most common joke intros. Write a poem that starts with that line. It does not have to be a humorous poem. And so um, for my poem, um, i just say that this is pretty much true. Uh, This is kind of how it goes for me. Counting the Times I've Been in a Bar Guy walks into a bar like a code he don't know, an alarm the alarm won't stop ringing. Guy walks into a bar like a car that won't start, like the whine of an engine that's singing. Guy walks into a bar like he's seven years old, and his father's wool suit, cuff sleeves swinging. Guy walks into a bar for a beer he won't like, with a girl he won't regret bringing guy walks into a bar from the bright afternoon and the quiet the dust motes are clinging and that is my guy walks into a bar i'm not much of a bar person i always feel like there's some kind of um you know etiquette that i don't even know i ask for a beer i don't know what kind of beer to ask for um i think i like i don't like ipas i've <laughs> learned that eventually but um so that's my bar experience and this is megan's poem a guy walks into a bar here we go with this uh Megan's poem. A guy walks into a bar. Maybe it's more accurate to say the bar pulls the guy in, a finger of smoke beckoning from the dark doorway, and the guy is hooked. All across town, grease-licked men leave work, smell that smoke, follow it to the bar they've loved since high school. Back when the bartender clapped their backs, nodded away their fake IDs, back when whiskey burned like falling in love. Now the country music that once beat like a heart throbs like an ache, like a headache, and the whiskey is mild as a stone worn smooth. But he tells the guys they don't look a day older, and it's true, in a sense, something about the eyes, but he'll never tell them they look like someone took their baby faces and scrubbed them, like youth is a stain and this bar is elbow grease. He knows it got him too sees it when he looks in the bathroom mirror, the way disappointment settles into his face like a sigh, and he wonders if the guys also walk around with this ache in their chests when they're fixing carburetors or chopping wood or sitting in the cafeteria of the elementary school stuffed into wrinkled button-downs watching their kids warble out silent night, shifting in their folding chairs, getting misty-eyed for reasons they don't understand and wouldn't talk about even if they did. Everyone talks about how youth fades, but they don't tell you it hangs around too. You just can't see it, like the guy in a bar smoking in a dim corner, telling the same stories that once earned him drinks, but now fall like cigarette ash. Nobody listening, nobody noticing a guy who's just part of the scenery—a bar stool, a jukebox, a curl of smoke, disappearing. And that was a uh, Megan's poem. A guy walks into a bar. And uh, Colin has a poem. It's not a bar. He doesn't know what a bar is, I don't think. I guess he does. Uh, But Colin had a poem that he wanted to share as well. And as I mentioned before, he's kind of jealous, I think, because Joe used to come to our poetry readings live and start out with a poem. And um, now that we do them online, um, it would be fun if he could go, you know, in person and read in front of an audience like that. But this is his poem for this week, Make Cake. And this is Colin, my my seven-year-old son here, so. We'll share this too. Make cake. And he drew a picture of a cake here. Once I saw a cake for a sec, I thought the cake was fake. I wish I could make that fake looking cake, I thought. And when I brought the cake, when I bought the cake, I had a stomach ache. <laughs> that is uh, Colin's poem, Make Cake. And we went to a uh, pie party last night. And um, you know Colin ate enough, of course, to um, give him a stomach ache. So I think that was what inspired that poem, uh, Make Cake by Colin Green. And now it's your turn to share poems. Uh, We have a whole bunch of people who would like to. Um, I'm going to go. We have a first-time caller at 4.03. I'll go to that second, just so you know that when I call you, whoever you are, 4.03, um, there's a delay. Oh, I also have a 2.03. So both 4.03 and 2.03, um, there's a delay. And um, so you have to listen just through the phone. And you also have to turn off your stream or at least mute it so that um, there's no confusion and you have to have the poem in front of you to read it you can't read it off the screen because of that 30 second or so delay you're not in the same spot as the poem is on the screen so have your own poem ready to go and uh first up let's go to let's try Carla. i'll do carla schwartz then i will do that 403 number so here's carla
5: hey, how are you
0: i'm good how are you doing tonight carla
5: Oh, not great. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to <laughs> hear you. That. I'm, yeah, I mean I'm healthy, I'm okay, but I'm coming back from my father going into a hospice situation, and you
0: know. Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Um, are, are, <laughs> yeah you getting to, are you going to spend some time with him at least?
5: I got to spend. I spent saw him twice yesterday and today, and that was the first time in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was very happy actually that I did get to spend time with him. So it was good. Yeah. And I'll be back. I'll yeah. be going back there. So That's good. Is it,
0: um, long, is it a long trip to get there?
5: It's it's a three plus mm-hmm. hours, you know. So yeah. yeah not that
0: short. Yeah. Well, wishing so, you all the best through that through the tough time. Uh, what what poem did you want to thank share Thank
5: you? you. So I emailed it to you tonight, mm-hmm. but it's in the text. I didn't attach it. That's okay. Um yeah, and uh and uh so it was this, you know, I didn't think I was going to have a Prompt poem, and I think I misheard the prompt being a man walks into a bar instead of a guy. I think you go either but,
0: way. Um, I almost wrote like a neutrino yeah. walks into a bar, and I thought of a, yeah. I thought well, of a joke, and then I, and then I googled it, and it wasn't. It was a joke somebody already thought of, so I, I didn't do that. Oh, well,
5: um, you could have had your own joke, but um, yeah, yeah that, that's right. So I, I, the whole man who's a man now. That actually was partly what inspired this poem. You know, what does a man mean? Okay, so the title is called Life Music After Lockdown, Falling in Love Again. A man walks into a bar, their hand curled around a guitar, all the stools swivel to stare. Do you really know who they are? With microphone close to lips, our Marlena Dietrich growl, half the room has filled, the other half has drowned.
0: Oh, great, tight little poem with a great ending. Thanks for sharing that, Carla.
5: Oh, thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for everything you're doing. So yeah. take care. I'll yeah, yeah see you here in, in, in best touch. wishes. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: That was Carla Schwartz with Life Music After Lockdown, Falling in Love Again. Um... And now let's go to that first-time caller. We'll see who that was at fi- at 4.03. Hello. Hey, this is Tim on the Rattlecast, and you are live on the air. Who am I talking to?
6: This is Bev Mendel atherstone I'm in Lethbridge, Alberta. Oh, in Canada. I'm so,
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you could call in for the first time, Bev. Um, what did you want to share today? <laughs> yeah.
6: I sent you Lament for Fraser Valley Dairy Cows.
0: Perfect. I have that right here. Is there anything you want to say about it before you read it?
6: Well, of course we were all in shock with the floods in the Fraser Valley in BC and also down into Washington. Um, and, uh, I just felt so, I I felt horrible about the dairy cows that were left in their barns Mm -hmm. and, um, couldn't escape oh, and wow. i that, that is heartbreaking poem, I, I hadn't heard that yeah yeah and the poems just sort of came to me so there were thousands of animals that died um thousands of cows and um some were some were rescued but the farmers had to leave because the floods came so quickly
1: Oh, wow! That's and the Fraser
6: Valley is a real dairy industry mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: well i have it on so screen. Shall i start yeah go ahead i have it on screen for everybody at home just read your own copy and go ahead whenever you're ready
6: I'm ready, expectantly with udders huge engorged, aching, waiting for stanchion's gates that will never open for them again. No disinfectant odor smarts their eyes, nor mechanical pump signals relief at end of day. Only silence greets their agony. Blinded by their pain, they bawl to a restless sleep until dawn filters golden through the rafters their ears strain for the daily early welcome sounds of scattered hay signaling an end to hunger of clanking vacuum pumps to relieve their bloated udders. still this yearning is only met by silence dark pools ooze around their hoofs as puddles converge from large to deep a shared fear snakes around the barn they're keening now at frantic pitch while gritty wet while gritty wet creeps up their legs it grabs and fetters fast their feet they shiver as they bellow quieted as this mud pack cools and buoys their swollen teats, providing brief respite before it crawls higher, placing a leaden cloak upon their shoulders, holding them as they struggle, desperate to escape, but where? It reaches their tongues and lips, but does not quench their thirst. They raise their heads to jerk free, but they can move no higher. As it creeps up their necks, they choke and gag. Their eyes bulge out in terror. They bawl, they cry, they call. There is no answer, no escaping now. The slimy mire fills their mouths. Their nostrils, throats, They slump, muted all. Motors skid along the flood-drenched plains, allowed to return home at last.
0: Are you still there, Ruth? Hmm. Well, that is strange. So, I don't know what happened. Music just started playing. I'm sorry, Bev, uh, but I will read. So, motors skid along the flood-drenched paths, allowed to return home at last. Farmers turn off their engines and strain to hear their silent herds. Hmm. So, that was uh, that was Bev's poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Bev. Sorry something strange happened. Um, it was coming through the phone, that music. So, I'm not sure uh, what that was. But, um... I'm so glad you could join us and hope you can join us again. It was a really moving, uh, sad, um, sad topic and a moving poem about it. So, so, so glad you could share it. Once again, that was Bev Wendell Atherstone from the, the BC area from Fraser Valley or writing about Fraser Valley and the coy- cows who died there and the flooding that was going on, which I didn't even hear about. The news didn't reach me until I saw a Facebook friend posting about it who lives in that area. I don't know. It's a, uh, and then the, the video is just, uh, it's just awful to watch. There's so much flooding there. I think it's been twenty minutes. Let's call up Greg Bell and. Oh, wait, I still don't have Greg Bell's poem either. Hang on. Oh, here I do have Greg's Greg's poem. Okay, so now let's call up Greg Bell. Cop twenty six. So another a uh, fitting poem for tonight, um, about climate change. I assume. Wait, cop twenty six. Hey Greg. Hey Tim. Yeah, I got the poem here now. Got cop twenty six. And uh, so we're yeah. ready to go. So I assume this is uh, the climate change, Copenhagen. Why is it 26? I, I was It just occurred to me that I, I was thinking it was the year, but obviously it's not 2026.
7: Well, I think uh, they've been counting up since the Kyoto Protocol. Ah, okay.
0: That makes sense. Um, so so obviously uh, that's what this poem is about. Is there anything else you want to say about it?
7: Well, uh, only that uh, I, I don't mention this in the poem, but uh, uh, one of the sources that I read mentioned that uh, there were over 500 representatives registered at COP26 from the fossil fuel industry.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
7: Yeah. Um, and disheartening, shall we say.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's the way the world works, I guess, the greenwashing. Yeah, it's sad,
7: sad, but so. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's in there. So oh, I'm oh, yeah, going to go.
0: Yeah. yeah, greenwashing. I just love that, like, you know, trying to rebrand BP as Beyond Petroleum. <laughs> All that <other laughs> nonsense. Um, anyway, yeah, let's uh, hear this poem. Cop 26 uh, roll uh, is a great word.
7: Yeah. Uh, so I'm going in to find it now. Okay. There it is. COP 26 roll They knew what they were doing. I mean, the planners hold it where they would be miserable, the kids, the activists, the island people, oust them from the playing field of wheelers, dealers, and idealistic leaders who try, at least, and isolate with the old divide and conquer in glacial Glasgow across the River Clyde, where no one hears their protests but the police. And look, who are these legion of glad hand shills who grin and say, We're with you all the way, but let's be sensible. Gotta grease the wheels. Greta cries, greenwashing festival. Talks break down. King Cole resumes his sway. And nobody's happy but the fossil fools.
0: (laughs) Fossil fools. Uh, Thanks for sharing that, Greg. Uh, uh, Did you come up with that fossil fools? That's a great slogan.
7: Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, I mean... (laughs) I, I would imagine <clears throat> there are a lot of people who've come up with that um, more or less simultaneously. It's in the air, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Well, it's great to hear from you. It's been been a while yeah. since you've been able to join us. Uh, it's nice. I'm glad to, glad to hear you're doing
1: well.
7: Well, you know, I I didn't know about the changeover to the Sunday evening, ah. and uh, I've been using Facebook to try and get the information, and that's like that's like heading into. <laughs> The labyrinth looking for the minotaur.
0: Well, nowadays, um, on the website, if you just go to rattle.com, there's just a playlist, and it always has the most recent ones and stuff. So, yeah. so um, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, great to talk to you, Greg. It's It's been a pleasure.
7: Well, uh, good to see you, Tim. Yep, have a good Take one. Take care. Yep, you too. Ciao. Bye.
0: That was Greg Bell from the L.A. area reading a COP26 folder roll. And um, I'm going to now... Um. Ah, here's Anita's poem. So let's call up Anita again. Hi, Anita. It came. Okay. It came through perfectly this time. So we are all good to go. Is there anything you want to say about it to introduce it?
3: Uh, yeah. I'm getting it pulled back up here to my screen. I will say I wrote this a few years ago in response to a prompt, and what uh, prompted me to. Um, decide to pull this one up tonight uh was the reading of your uh first poet um Brittany i believe is her name mm-hmm. um yeah i didn't uh come in right at the beginning but i came in when she was reading some of her daughter poems in which she looked back at uh mythology and stories and um i don't remember the exact prompt but it was basically to write a poem taking a um, storybook character or something like that and um, to make a poem about that so uh this um well i think it'll be pretty obvious um the story i won't give it away i'll just go ahead and read the poem i think uh, people will get it (laughs) yeah
0: sounds good sounds like a perfect poem for tonight too go ahead whenever you're ready i have it up for everybody else yeah
3: okay great um so this is shattered dream it's a persona poem okay of all the substances with which to fabricate a slipper I should have known much better than to let my feet be shod by a fairy, godmother or not. To one with wings, feet are just a place for fancy, to decorate as one desires, not the sole support of a girl who needs to run. Yes, I was nearly swept away. The way he looked into my eyes as we danced through the dazzle of the palace, the pressure of his hand low on my back, as we whirled past the stairs. But later, on the terrace, when I sensed the need enormous as the night sky above us, not his alone for his dream girl, but his father's and the old queen's too, I knew it wasn't me they saw. They'd never see. And so, the need to flee. It was long the road back home, I wasn't dressed for such a night. One shoe gone, the other shattered in my hand. If he comes knocking, tell him that I'd prefer to dream by ebbing embers than bear the weight of all those other dreams. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. A perfect poem, Shattered
0: Dreams. A perfect poem for tonight, Anita. And I'm really glad you could join us for the first time and share that. I hope you get to call in again soon.
3: Yeah, well, I did um, join a rattle um, open mic, but it was several months ago, um, uh, okay. and I it kind of rattle kind of fell off my radar for a while. But somehow it came back on. I saw something, and it's like, oh, there, there it is. <laughs> so well, thank perfect. you for letting I'm me. Everybody
0: could join in. Yeah.
3: Okay. Good night. Good night.
0: Yeah, let me add Anita to our address book so that we um, we know who she is next time. Add contact. And once again, that was Anita a Holiday with uh, Shattering Dreams. Let's call up Phil Stern. A haiku-like feeling. So Phil's got a short one. I think I saw him here. Yep, I did. Let's call it Phil. Hello. Hey, Philip, you're live on the air. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Uh... So you have a a shorter poem, That Sick Feeling, A Guy Walks Into a Bar. Is there anything you want to say about it before you read?
6: Um. Only that uh, it was much longer originally, and then uh, I'm really aiming now for a more roku, haiku kind of poem.
0: Well, sounds good. Let's go ahead. Go ahead whenever you're ready. I'll put it up.
6: Okay. That sick feeling. A guy walks into a bar at 11 o'clock in the morning, knowing in his belly that the wagon that he has fallen from Is slowly pulling away.
0: That's a great metaphor at the end. Uh, The waggle that he's fallen from is pulling away. Thanks for sharing that, Phil. Philip?
8: Thank you. Okay.
0: Yep. Good night. Good night. There's Philip Stern with that sick feeling. And now let's go. Who did I say was next? Let's go to um, Jerry Stephenson.
4: Good evening, Tim.
0: Yeah, hey, Jerry. How are you doing tonight?
4: Hey, I'm doing pretty good. You're sounding a great show tonight, by the way. Whoa.
0: Thanks, I appreciate knocking it. knocking the socks off of <laughs> Yeah, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. So what do you have for us tonight?
4: I got a, I got a short one for you. I, I've been really enjoying these prompts, and thank you for reading mine for last week. I enjoyed that. But I, it's the, the bar thing, right? Uh-huh. I had a friend of mine who had a really job that was terrible Monday mornings. And I used to phone her Monday mornings and, and interrupt her and tell her a guy walked into a bar joke for about three months in a row. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and right. She loved she it, and I loved it. She gave me the props, so I jumped right to it. But I wrote this one here, and it's a little different thing, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. So are you ready?
0: Yeah, I'm ready. Go ahead.
4: Okay. This morning coming down, a guy walks into a bar. Bartender remarks, we don't serve here till 10 o'clock. I prefer my bar to be set lower than that. Let's say 9.30. Uh, fine, ten, uh, but bring around. One for me, one for myself, and I, because I hate to drink alone. My tale is storied, my tab will be long. Telling is like spilled rye on each lie. My, how bad times fly so slowly by.
0: Oh, wow, that, that does an, go. yeah, good turn at the end. Thanks, that was this morning coming down. Thanks, Jerry.
4: All right, then. Take care. Eh? Good job, buddy.
0: Yep. Yep. You too. Same here. Talk to you later.
4: Bye hey, Bye. Bye.
0: That's uh, Jerry Stephenson with this morning coming down. His guy walks into a bar story. Um. So here I'm going to read. I'm gonna read Clayton Clark's. I think I'm going to read two poems here. Then we'll do a couple more callers. Um. Clayton Clark wanted me to read this. A guy walks into a bar. This is Clayton Clark's poem. Um. Clayton can't make it um, this time on Sundays, but maybe maybe in the future. Let's see. So a guy walks into a bar having leashed his troubled mind to the fire hydrant outside in hopes someone will steal it. He has come from the light, circles a stool, then sits. Eyes adjusted, he's astonished to see a map of gold veins traced on his face in the mirror and believes he is ready for transmutation, for individuation, no longer a slave to the strain of the day. He orders a brew to soothe and allay any and all distressing news. He drinks, sighs, licks his lips and blinks in the light that glints off the glass of encased spirits. This, when a cop walks in, holding the leash and cites the guy for disturbing the peace. Another good poem. Thanks for sharing that, Clayton. That was Clayton Clark with a, a guy walks into a bar. And I was thinking all this talk about guys walking into bars. We have the best, um, such a good poem about, um, alcoholism actually. And, uh, I thought I'd share this. This was one of the winners of the Neil Postman Award for Metaphor. And fear all the great metaphors in this poem by Martin Vest. This is Man on Fire. Man on Fire by Martin Vest. At first he looked nice lying in the hearth. At the end of the torch he kept Frankenstein away. He lit the streets on a dark walk from from a seedy bar. When he wanted to dance, he danced. When he wanted to sleep, he was a lamp that wouldn't shut off. He seethed and roiled in his body of tongues, climbing the walls like a madman. He flickered and snapped. He grew to a roar. Alarms went off. Sirens sounded. The throat of his upturned flask chanted, Go, 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 like a flammable cheerleader. And you stayed. His smoke clung to your skirts and coated the dishes as he stumbled from room to room, screaming more, more. You remember the night that you met him? There had been others to choose from, the drowning man who sat next to you groping at your blouse as he sunk to the bottom of his whiskey and soda, the rainmaker with cold gray eyes who stared into the melancholy of his gin and lime, but man on fire never stops grinning, man on fire with his twenty shots of everything, with his flash paper slights fueling the crackled of their own applause." And you, parched wind, whistling like a spoke, like a runaway train, howling in your body for a keyhole of quick escape, for a fast way through the wall. What would you want with water? That was uh, just the great metaphors in that poem by Martin Vest, Man on Fire. And uh, let's go to. Who do we have left? Let's go to uh, Richard Westheimer. We also have Mike Bales. Hello, Richard, from a new remote location. It's good to see There's you. Location. There are no bookshelf behind me, <laughs> no mandolin on the wall. Yeah, you've
9: you've moved. <laughs> I, I have moved. I'm in my son's house in Baltimore.
0: Well, that, that's uh, great. I'm glad you could get out to visit.
9: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, first time I've been away from home for more than four or five hours since the pandemic. So oh, it, wow, it feels. I'll I'll say it feels great. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I went to um, the the a pie party. I mentioned this earlier, and it was the first like gathering I'd been to. It felt so strange. I was like, like I had to go outside for a little bit just because yeah. it was uh, you know, that many people in a room was a little like, whoa, okay.
9: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it can be that way anyway. Much yeah. less after twenty months of of enjoying yeah, our that, that's for our sure. Introverted. Um, <laughs> A joyful world that we've been in yeah
0: yeah i mean i could just i could just never leave my property i, I want to go outside but if i had not, i could just never leave the the yard anyway
9: <laughs> well it's been nice and i pre i appreciate the recognition that you don't recognize the background here
0: <laughs> okay so what do you want to share this is no time for blackberries is what i have for you.
9: Uh, so i did send that in but i i want to if there are there
0: time for two I, i'm yeah, sorry that yeah I- sure we're not in any big rush
9: Okay. How about if I do my? I'll I'll do the no time for blackberries, which just got picked up by Cutthroat uh, oh. Journal, the environment piece. It's not published yet, but
0: okay, cool. Let me uh, let me click the search button. Okay. So this is. Okay. Uh, say it again. Where where it was published? It, was about to be published. Uh,
9: it will be. It's upcoming in uh, Cutthroat mm-hmm. uh, Journal. Ah, very cool. And, yeah. Uh, um, and they do an, a a sort of climate change issue in this one. They picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, i've liked I've liked the work that they've done, so this is uh no time this is no time for blackberries. When asked how I grow such lush berries this time of year, I say we are blessed with abominations, unrelenting dog days shouldering their ways into October. my teeming berry canes are bullied into production. conscripted conscripted by the heat into extra tours of duty, like dumb soldiers following orders. Obedient to these novel seasons, they keep blossoming and calling on bees and fruiting and ripening and fruiting and ripening as if to some cruel Sousa march on repeat until they grow so rank and tired, they seem to weep withering leaves and quick routing druplets, only to have me out among them each morning, picking them clean, eating from their obsequiousness, deaf to their laments.
0: Uh, excellent poem. This is No Time for Blackberries, coming out in cutthroat very soon. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. And congratulations on that publication, too.
9: Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, and this, uh, so I have my Poets Respond poem, which I just wanted to give a try I had this impulse for concreteness in a poem, which I've never given into before.
0: Interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember seeing this. Yeah.
9: Um, so I just, I, I gave, I gave it a spin of the wheel pun. Absolutely intended.
0: And and so set it up uh, though. What what was the news story that prompted it?
9: Uh, so the news story was that there were tornadoes in Long Island, on Long Island in Connecticut in November.
0: Oh wow. That's and
9: strange. Out- well, tornadoes are very weird. Up in that part, they're unprecedented. Have we heard that word before? Yeah. In in November, and it's partly because a ordinary cold front came through and hit a, what is continues to be a very very warm Atlantic Ocean, much warmer than usual, and just caused this this great spinning of. Of, of spinning up of tornadoes and there are two things that you might look up in the poem if you're reading it on the page one is this word chakram which is sort of like a frisbee-like circular dish that has razor oh. sides oh. on it that, that is thrown as a weapon um, and the other is Prometheus who most are familiar with as stealing fire from the gods um, so um, I speed the wheel and the epigraph is, Drops of Water, Turn a Mill, Singly None, which is uh, from the, a 19th century union rule book.
0: Oh, wow. That's very poetic for a, for a union rule book.
9: Oh, it's a great. The, the whole thing is uh, step by step, the longest march can be won, many stones to uh, build an arch, singly none. Oh, wow. And then this is the last line. So it's a beautiful, um, and Pete Seeger put it to music. Oh. Um, so, I, I Speed the Wheel. A cold front rolls through here like water over a great mill wheel. The wheel drives the axle, drives the sprockets, drives the shafts, drives the weather all the way east where it cranks on the great pinions of cold fronts until they crash into weirdly warm air fired by Promethean heated seas. The cog wheels spin and gyre until the gears smash through, fly off like sawtooth chakram, hurled by the hands of a mad god. They become twisters that touch down, cut through towns that have never known the whirling blade of a tornado. Back here, as the cold sweeps in, I know how to speed the wheel, crank up the heater, drop. Soak in hot water. Drop. Drive to town. Drop. Jet away. Drop buy, Drop. 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 drop,
0: drop, drop. That was excellent, Richard. Uh, great to, to hear it read. is a is a really uh, a good poem. There. I speed the wheel, and we definitely have a theme going on tonight. I think that I didn't I didn't know was coming. So very interesting.
9: There it is. Well, I I, I appreciate getting to call in from a different location, yeah. and I hope. Your yeah, family has a great Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, same to you, Richard. Hope you, you guys have a great one.
9: Thanks. Bye. Talk to you
0: soon. Yeah, bye. Richard Westheimer with uh, I Speed the Wheel. And also um, the other poem was uh, the Blackberries one. This is no time for Blackberries. And uh, let's go to Mike Bales. This might be the last caller. I'm not sure, but we'll go to Mike Bales, and then I'll look what else what we have.
10: Hey, get away from the laptop.
0: Yeah, no problem, Mike. How are you doing tonight?
10: Pretty good. I'm doing some readings here and there. For some from half from my book, which I read from, half from a book in the Midwest Writing Center that I contributed a poem to. And the cold's bugging me, but I'm glad yesterday was kind of a warm day.
0: Yeah, very nice. Um, you, definitely, a, you definitely always have a lot of poetry stuff going on. That's always great to hear. And uh, So did you um, want to read Snoopy Goes to Space?
10: Definitely. Uh, this is the lighter side of the news. I guess he's going up next, early next year. Yeah, um, I remember this. I, I always liked Snoopy. You know, I had kids' books. Uh-huh. And good old corny me, you know, Snoopy taking on different personas in a way That's a little bit of my study of character as a kid.
8: Mm-hmm.
10: So this Snoopy Goes to Space.
0: Yeah, this was a fun one. I really liked it. So go ahead, whenever you're ready, to have it
10: up. <laughs> it's fun, it fun to write. Uh, Snoopy Goes to Space. From the roof of his doghouse to a capsule in space he goes snoopy finds himself above the clouds a story so real it stretches imagination snoopy becomes another character as he goes round and round revolving around planet earth sure lucy will shake her fist and call out you stupid dog but it is but that is of little consequence as he floats in heavens above the ground and when charlie brown fills his dish He'll remember and look to the stars. He's told Charlie it's just for a spin. He'll soon—he'll su- be back soon. Linus, too, will look upward when he sits alone in a pumpkin patch. He invites others, but they never come. And Snoopy's spacesuit, also orange, has been crafted for him for months for this trial run. In the hum of tranquility, he floats through the cabin as if an apparition, a dream. The Earth below shines like a jewel, but clouds shroud skies where he has fought the red bear and married many times. Lights on the control panel dance like words in his head he longs to share, to pound out on the typewriter on the roof of his doghouse, a time and place where he could be anything. Yeah, I really enjoyed
0: that poem. Thanks for sharing that. Mike I love that idea of Snoopy floating, um, you know, as the test dog through space. That's just such a great image. I hope they like they get some good pictures when they eventually do it.
10: Really, it's, uh, and it's kind of funny, too. You think instruments would detect it, but he's on there because he can't damage any instruments <laughs> of the capsule. Yeah, And he's yeah. there so they can detect when the ship has left gravity. You know, they don't have any instruments that, they, that can do it. They're using Snoopy for that. Yeah, it's a
0: fun story. I'm so glad you could write a poem and share that, Mike. Okay, thanks. Yep, have a good night.
10: Right, bye.
0: Bye. There's Mike Bales with uh, Snoopy Ghost of Space. And let's go, we're going to go back to Guy Chambers and see if we can get in touch with him because that call dropped suddenly. So we'll see if this works. She has a poem called John Bull, which if we don't connect, I will read. But let's see. Hey, Guy, you're back. So I don't know what happened when the call dropped, but then I couldn't call you back. Well,
8: I don't know sure. what happened. There was nothing. There was going, what the hell happened here? So, okay, yeah. This is one of my prompts poems like for this week here and that and like I said, I was trying to think what about person going to Bard and the first thing I thought was about an English Bard and the name John Boe came up and said, oh, well, write about that and see how it comes out with. I had another poem that I've written about the same as that called Part Belly uh-huh. Shoulder Shoulder, Shoulder, Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh but I would use this one instead so this one is called John Bowl Great, let's hear okay. it Okay the guy goes into the bar, the stomping grounds, after hours, on tap, overlap. John Bowl, man, mound, trimmed and burning. Strapping Buddy, iron sturdy. On, long onlooks, punch please, handshake. A rock nose, overdose. Untied necktie, T Rose shirt tail hanging out, juggler, kilter in a sea foam beer glass, grain voice, a stirred ribbing, raising a toast with a chubby belly post, shuttle elbows, woodwind friends, tap room mates to the end, fiddling the good times, Shouldering songs filled with laughs and all night long. John Bull, spirit, flush, jubilated, making the rounds, open face with a hail embrace for his enwrapped chaps, living high on life.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Hey, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Guy. Always a pleasure. That was John Bull by Guy Chambers. Always fun listening to your, the way you play with the sounds, Guy.
8: Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot. Yep, have a good one. Okay. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye.
0: Yeah, guy Chambers with John Bull. And I think it's the last of the callers. Um, Nivedita and Ted have poems for us to share. This is Percenters. This is a Ted, Ted Guevara's Guy Walks Into a Bar poem. Percenters. A guy walks into a bar... Three bouncers check if he's a little intoxicated. He is. They are a pro at this, the bouncers. They went through training school and actually earned badges. After scrutiny, they let the guy in, knowing for sure that he would disrupt. But all the guy wanted to know was if he was shortchanged. He wasn't the disorganized type. He would never topple a chair or break bottles on the wall. When the three bouncers didn't see violence in him, they tripped him from the back and kicked him in the head. If they had an S&W Model 29, they would have used it point-blank on the man. You see, the change was precious to them, right or not, given to man. At the same time, correct tallying of his change was also important to the man, as vital as walking out of that bar, free and with integrity. That was Ted Guevara's Percenters. Thanks for sharing that, Ted. And Nivedita has a couple. Here's Nivedita's, um Nivedita Karthik, of course. This is and. So the story goes, her prompt poem for tonight. And so the story goes. A guy walks into a bar wearing cowboy boots and spurs, and on his cheek, a wickedly long scar. Ordering a run, this newbie savors it, long and slow, and when finally done, hops off and heads on out, only to find his horse gone, with nary a hoofprint in the snow. Listen here, Montana, I need my horse back right away. "'If you don't want me to do what I had to do in Texas,' he drawled, "'now I'm going to sit here and have another glass, "'for which one of you's will pay. "'And when I'm done, I better see my horse outside in its rightful place by the water trough reinstalled.' "'One long whiskey and some frightening locals later, "'he he clambers off and heads on out. "'And sure enough, his steed is back right where he stated. "'Ready to leave, he is stopped by a shout.' It's the bartender with a question for the cowboy. Say, partner, before you leave, what did happen in Texas? Do you really want to know? Well, okay. Then here goes. I got my mate to drive me home in my Lexus. <laughs> and that is uh, Nivedita's good poem with a with a punchline there at the end. Thanks for sharing that. And so the story goes, Nivedita. And then uh, she has a uh, Poacher spawn poem, too. This is the article it's written about. Don't ever get caught napping. Pillow Fighting Enters Combat Sports Arena. <laughs> another another fun story, so um, it's kind of hidden here. Okay, this is uh, the article. Don't Get Caught Napping. Pillow Fighting Enters Combat Sports Arena. And then you have this, oh, wow, this is uh, some professional pillow fighters. Uh, pillow Fighting is moving out of the bedroom and into the boxing ring when Pillow Fight Championship holds its first live pay-per-view event in Florida on January 29th. And if you're watching at home, you can maybe guess what the appeal is why they might think men might do pay-per-view for watching pillow fights Um, so that is what Nivedita is writing about and let's see what her poem is the aftermath the aftermath here lies a kind but brave soul who may have been full of fluff but they certainly know their stuff for that's why they paid life's ultimate toll their edges were so ripped and torn when I got to them that all I could do was mourn at the loss of this special gem Pretty in pink and a partner in my darkest hour. I will never forget the way your dress in the wind did billow. Some of my happiest dreams are all thanks to your power. Oh, I'll miss you, my dear sweet friend, R.I.P. Pillow, the aftermath of a good pillow fight. And that is uh, Nivedita's poem about uh, this uh, lighter side of the news story. Uh, Thanks for sharing that, Nivedita. And we have a few minutes left. I thought I was going to share a poem maybe from the new issue. The new issue of Rattle surprised me. I don't even have the uh, web pages up for this yet. But usually it, it wouldn't come for anybody until uh, tomorrow at the earliest, but I already got my copy, so we'll see. Um, what should I share? Let's do um, I do this poem by Nancy Miller Gomez. Here we go. This is a poem from the new issue. This is Still by Nancy Miller Gomez. The last apple hangs on into winter. Drops of rain sweat glide down its mottled skin, catch light from the sun and turn gold. Shriveled and brown as a shrunken head. It holds on to the branch even while falling further into itself. Isn't persistence beautiful? The woman who shows up daily for her dose of methadone, the man punching the clock shift after shift though he carries his heart through each day in a cold, empty chest, the small boy who tries to make sense of the lines his teacher made on the chalkboard. How do we keep on? The bird drops its song over and over, picking it up and dropping it, little notes spilling down the mountain. My father on his deathbed, eyes still filled with wonder, he lingers longer and longer in the spaces between each breath, stepping carefully onto the ledge of his last thought. And that was still... By Nancy Miller Gomez from the new issue of Rattle, number 74, with this wonderful owl on the cover. I love this painting by Kelly McQuain. And uh, that should be for all subscribers arriving sometime this week, I guess. Or if it hasn't already. So um, that is what's going on now. And let me finish up. First, let me make sure I'm not missing anybody who wanted me to just read a poem. And I think we're good. Okay, so um, let me do the haiku, or the saiku, I should say. And what was this week's saiku? Let me refresh my memory. Oh, yeah, so this was a the first time, and this is one of those things where I would assume that, that this has already been studied a lot more than it has, but this is scientists capture humans' earliest emergence. And so this is from the University of Bristol, this paper that just came out, and... Um, Um, so young children's ability to laugh and make jokes has been mapped for ages or met by age for the first time using data from a new study involving nearly 700 children from birth to age four. So what these researchers did is sent these complicated surveys to parents and had them log and ask questions about when laughter appeared. And so the, and, and laughter s- starts happening like a sense of humor starts developing it at, at one month um, for some children, like playing peekaboo and looking at funny faces and things, and then develops, you know, over the years, we're sort of moving out and toward different kinds of rule breaking, or, you know, where your expectations are subverted, you're looking for one thing to happen, then something else does. And then you experience it as laughter, which who knows what, I think it probably like compels learning. And there's something really interesting about laughter too, that has something to do with that. Um, you know, that at the end, um, you know, Brittany Corgan was talking about the way that at the end of a good poem with a great line, there's that little like, ah, like that little gasp. And somehow that's related to laughter in a fascinating way, I think. And so it was interesting to look at this study and, and look at how laughter develops. And they also found across different different cultures that the survey was done, that the laughter developed at like the same rate. So it seems very innate, um, our ability to laugh and, and the way it progresses as we grow up and, and our, our sense of humor develops. And so this is my quick saiku to end the show. A toddler's laugh, every step a delight. Toddler's laugh, every step a delight. And that is your Psyku for today, and that is the show for today. Uh, next week, the prompt is going to be write a poem about a snake or serpent. So another simple prompt for this week, write a poem about a snake or serpent, which I'm not going to like because I don't know if I mentioned it before, but snakes are the one thing that kind of creep me out. Like I have dreams, I do a little bit of sleepwalking. And I have dreams where, like, there's a snake under my bed all the time, and I jump up and, like, ready to, like, attack the snake or something. And that must be, like, deep in my collective unconscious ancestral memory or something. We really didn't like snakes. Uh, But that is your poem. I don't know if I like this prompt, but write a poem about a snake or a serpent is your prompt for next week. And next week's guest is going to be David Kirby. Um, his newest book is Help Me Information. He also has a a really, a really good looking book. I'm gonna to have to read this. It's pretty long. Um, it's called The Knowledge, Where Poems Come From and How to Write Them, which just came out. It's a book of prose about poetry. If I can reach it, I'll put it up on screen. Um I'm trying to avoid all the bump into the microphone stuff, but here it is. This is uh David Kirby's book that just came out as well as um is help me information, which you see on screen there. He has this this new book. Um, the knowledge where poems come from, and and see how thick that is. This is uh, from fliplearning.com, and I'm excited to read both of these during the course of the Thanksgiving weekend. And David Kirby will be your guest. He's one of the most popular sh- poems we've ever published online. It's his poem, uh, More Than This, which became the title poem for the book before, Help Me Information. His braid style is one of the most. I don't know one of the one of the unique styles that poets use combining multiple things together and weaving a braid like that is what he likes to do a lot of pop culture a lot of humor a lot of heart all mixed together in poems that tell different stories at the same time that's what david kirby's all about it's gonna be a great episode sunday november 28th the regular time 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific and hope you have a great thanksgiving everybody and hope you and thanks for joining for uh, joining me tonight and sharing all these really fun and interesting poems, and uh, spreading a little light out of this darkness, I guess, that's going on now. Hope to see you soon, and I will talk to you later. Good night.